0: Welcome to...
1: Can you say the name?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay, let me try to say the new name. Start worrying, details to follow. This is the podcast that we used to call anger management. Yeah,
1: and you say we're not angry anymore?
0: I am angry. I am still angry. But I think it's important to move into a new phase. Something changed. We started in the
1: US. uh, Everybody was still incredulous about this man in the White House. Yes. So it was a sense of urgency to deal with that. And to come up with people who have uh, a clear vision.
0: Quick fixes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to an urgent situation. And now we're moving into the more long-term project of uh, changing structures, but more so, even more so looking for new ideas.
1: Right. And the name is given to us. We had a dinner yes. with our friend Igor Levit, who's also uh, the pianist, who's also, um, who also played the music for us at the beginning, the, the intro. So thank you, Igor, for the music and thank you for uh, the name, name, which um, I think it's it's, he said it's the Jewish telegram. So the perpetual notion of threat
0: and start worrying. I guess that's where we all are. Uh, But more importantly, details to follow. That's our promise to you uh, as listeners. We will provide you with details of the uh, of the new and uh, of the future.
1: And also, thanks with a new logo, which is uh, bold and radical and bloody. And red. <laughs> and red.
0: No, it's not bloody. What's
1: bloody? It's a, it has this machine. It's not machine. revolutionary. It has the machine, this, this, no, the violent this machine in no, the earth. No, it has no? a
0: very. Uh, calm reddish tone (laughs) to it very constructive
1: it's It's
0: constructive pragmatic red It's not revolutionary you think
1: it's social democratic the logo i just like
0: the nuance
1: okay good good i mean as you can hear it's both um (laughs) which is also the theme of the podcast it's both radical and uh coherent um that's what we are current is coherent i'm trying to be radical yes um so for the first and you are i had the same idea that we should sort of introduce ourselves yes. I, but not everybody knows us apparently but but um i'm georg dietz
0: i'm Karin pettersson i'm um from sweden aftermladet and you work at your spiegel no? that's true yes that's true <laughs> So we're two Europeans trying to find our way. Two uh, lefty Europeans trying to find our way in this new world of disruption.
1: Is lefty a diminutive term? So is is, is that? Is I'm that just
0: trying to find the term that goes for both of us. A left
1: isn't, doesn't doesn't do it.
0: Left, yeah, left, lefty. I just like the yeah yeah the sound the melody of that. And we're also journalists.
1: <laughs> I wonder about lefty, lefty, lofty, le- lofty, lefty, lofty lefty, ideas, lofty. lefty yeah. journalists.
0: Yeah. Anyway, um, our first guest in it's this P- new shape. Yes. Tell me.
1: It's Peter Pomerantsev. You brought him to the show, and I, I have to say it was, it was a great find. He's, he's a very, very engaging person to talk to, a very engaging mind he has. He's an expert in Russia, but, but you were interested in the propaganda aspect, digital. Yeah, he's running, a,
0: he's running a project at the London Sch- School of Economics with Anne Applebaum, whom we had on the podcast recently. And um, yeah, they're studying propaganda and how it influences uh, politics and in the public discourse. And he had this great take on he knows everything about Putin. he live, used to live in Russia, uh, he's an author, he's a journalist, and uh, he, had, he had a new way of looking at politics as, as a carnival as yes. vo- void of meaning. When the left right conflict sort of fades out, what, uh, what we have instead what we get instead are these um, populist clowns. Um, who are m- more entertainers than anything, which I thought was an interesting uh, It was, take. so uh,
1: welcome to Start Worrying Details to Follow, episode one. Um, stick with us.
0: Here are the details.
1: Just to set the stage, as usually Karen and I are um, a little on different sides of the of the argument. Um, And we might cover both. Um, The question of digital uh, threat to democracy, that's more current the question of how to deal with the digital threat or how to use digital to reinvigorate democracy. That's maybe my side of the argument, you might choose if you want to start at the beginning or the end or the problem or solution, whatever, whatever it is, but um, you're you're an expert on both how digital tools shape democracy and how digital uh, tools might change democracy. You choose where you want to
2: start. Well, I'm not actually an expert. I'm more like somebody from, um, you know, someone from the old world who understands words and film. Like us.
0: And documentary.
2: (laughs) And suddenly... That's a good perspective. And suddenly, like, you know, I feel like a Stefan Zweig character. You know, like, this world, this world that I knew is clearly changing. I mean, I used to work in very commercial TV and I thought I was very on the edge of things. And suddenly, like, this whole new language is emerging Um, in the digital space. So partly this project is, like, Anne and I trying to, like, people from an old world where we knew the rules, trying to understand the new one. So what we're doing is engaging with experts. And our guess is that, actually, some magic will happen when we put together these data people who speak this, Slightly different language to us, with our kind of old, fading ideals about democracy and all those kind of things. And can we can we invigorate each other? So all the projects that we're doing uh, or want to be doing, kind of, how can we use digital to sort of reinvigorate democracy? But it's we're not experts yet. We will be by the end. But that's I think the the, the
1: important step because the people that we talk to from the digital side they were sort of always very clear about where they wanted to go but they didn't really know why they did what they did. So they didn't have a clear understanding of democracies often, what what it's about. And and I guess that, that relationship between the old world and the new world is is what is what is so um, so needed, I guess, to, to, to as a corrective to reflect on the digital nature of democracy in the future.
2: Yeah, I mean have you met you probably meet a lot of Silicon Valley people, don't you? Yeah. See I've only just started meeting meeting with them and they're clearly really, really good at data algorithms. I'm not sure any of them read a book, Mm. ever. Mm. And it's actually shocking the sort of the level of kind of thinking that I've encountered. Now, that might just be my bad luck, and I hopefully spend a lot more time meeting those people. Mm. But I was a little bit shocked. So, Um,
0: yeah.
2: So, yeah. But, but, yes, there seems to be a few little sort of different camps that need to be sort of Mm. connected with each other. So if
0: you say you feel like a Stefan Zweig character in this, um, in, in a, I guess, melancholic and uh, um, sad way, looking back to the world that you're losing. So can you describe the, describe the world that you see? What is it that we're losing and where are we heading?
2: Well, listen, the troubling thing is that all the formula and ingredients that we thought we had that strengthens democracy... It turns out can be completely upended. So when we're faced with a totalitarian regime, mm. we kind of we know the plot: more freedom of information, mm. transgression. They're stiff. Where life? Where the kind of where the carnival? Where the Havel-like carnival? They're the sort of stiff authoritarians. Mm. But okay, so so I started to become aware that we need to start questioning a lot of these simplistic formula that we have when I was looking at sort of Eastern Europe and Russia. Uh, especially during the war in Ukraine. So, you know, take Odessa. Odessa is like a city that would've had two or three TV channels mm. or one, two TV channels during Soviet times. So the, the Black Sea port. Now it has over 90 mm. plus all the digital stuff, 100, over a hundred ethnicities. And, you know, that actually doesn't necessarily mean that you have a better sort of Habermasian deliberative space. You just have Fracture, people when they're faced with so much information can't really tell the difference between what's good and bad anymore and end up just going with what's just more emotional so all these kind of very simplistic sort of formula that we had like more information will lead to better democracy it's a bit a bit like sort of more free markets would lead to better economics like no <laughs> without kind of wiser use of the markets and i think without wiser use of information then it you know, things just disintegrate. Yeah. And I saw that sort of in, in focus groups that we did in, what well, that I saw in the Baltics. So people there had seen, um, you know, it's not that they live in a closed information space. Yeah, they sort of had Russian propaganda, American propaganda, local propaganda, all coming at them. And in focus groups, they were quite honest. Like they like, we assume the Russians are lying. We assume everybody's lying. Mm-hmm. So we just go with the one that kind of like, you know, is the most fun to watch or whatever. Uh, so you enter this sort of space where like there's so much information that people can't make rational and deliberative decisions anymore. And so, what triumphs is this sort of utter spectacle like Trump or someone, um, or just, Brexit. I mean, we were here
1: in London, yeah. Which sort of the Brexit is based on presumably one lie. So the interesting point is, as you say, you've studied authoritarian regimes of. Of, of the old mold but what happens mm. Trump or, or in this case the 350 billion lie yeah. of Nagy Farage so is that what, what was that where is that position lie democracy majority rule um sort of finding some common ground some truth in, yeah. you know, in,
2: in how to proceed well it's going to be very I mean that's a challenge that's why we've called our think tank arena because it's a place <laughs> where people can come together and talk to each other again but it's, I mean, there's another thing that comes with so there's the overload of information and sort of we get lost inside of that and actually it doesn't benefit the best information it benefits people who turn it into a spectacle and that kind of relates to the other bit which I find very interesting which is sort of being transgressive was always something we actually associated with democracy in the 1960s in the cold war we had rock music and miniskirts and they had you know Whatever they had, but it was rubbish. Long,
0: very really long life. Yeah, exactly. Bread. Yeah, bread.
2: exactly. And and like the five-year plan. So freedom in all its various forms was celebrated. Uh, and, you know, and, and the US sort of sponsored abstract expressionism and jazz and rock music and the Beatles helped bring down the Berlin Wall, all, all that stuff. But now the other side used transgression much more. You know, Farage... Uh, look at their humor i mean boris johnson trump they're all about talking about sex and using swear words and being kind of the punkish clownish characters milo yiannopoulos so they've again that was the other thing that democracy or that kind of liberal democracy is all about sort of lots of free information lots of freedom 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 and also sort of transgressive energy and now they're using that much better than we use that now we're the stiff ones you know so um with, with with um with Brexit, there was a lot of it was about that as well. I mean, why were Farage and especially Johnson so important? You know, Johnson who's the pantagruel of English politics, overweight, drinking, proud of his, you know, flirtations with women. Farage makes bad jokes all the time. They were the naughty boys. They were the... They tapped in something very English as well, eccentricity. And the English love the idea that they're eccentric. And here were the two eccentric characters mm. showing how different and transgressive and weird and Monty Python-like we are compared to boring... Sort of like George Osborne lecturing us about money. It's like oh, fuck that. Mm. So it was very, very English. three hundred and fifty million, did that swing it? I don't know. I never. I always feel that maybe it did. Maybe that people were very receptive to that message for a lot of reasons. But maybe as you say, maybe it's just
1: part of this bigger yeah. package. That's really interesting. That's a major shift, basically, in the way uh, politics is. Perceived that that or change changes perceived so so changes associated with the spectacle so with with ent- with transgression as you say so and, and and that is a larger trend then that that, that change is coming now
2: iconoclastically or, or transgressively or and destructively but it's and establishment from the from yeah. the right um, well, the right have okay. leapt on it but um, uh, I think it it starts a lot earlier I mean I I always like um what's his name again Borstein a lot you know the image I think I think he gets it I mean the moment we move into TV we move away from sort of like, you know, these sort of politicians who are very proud of their, you know, exceptional, sort of rational debating skills to something that's much more about the image, uh, which has its own logic, which isn't necessarily the logic of good policymaking. But it starts with Kennedy, and then you can, you can see how it gets intense and tense and tense as the image, as images, or, or and, then, and then digital media starts to dominate us. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's a trend that, you know, you can take it all the way from Kennedy and then through you know Berlusconi is really the the, the most successful one in the nineties. Um, then Putin and Chavez, who was you know forget about how brilliant Chavez was, you know he had he was doing talk shows that lasted like five, six, seven hours. Mm. Yeah, well he'd invite like Sean Penn on a jazz band and fire a minister. I mean he was like he was he was pretty amazing at that. Um, and then and then through Putin, who's a much more designed but you know very very image fixated sort of president, and Trump is kind of the natural. Logical conclusion. So, so, no, it's not new. It's been building and building and building, and it's kind of at everything but up to
1: take it together, add, add it up. What is it? What, what, what is that? Advanced democracy, as uh, Erdogan calls it, is that just a spectacle of characters? Is that like, is, is it, is it a form of government already? Is, is it a regime form? I mean, what, what's developing in front of our eyes here? Certainly not a form of
2: government because they don't tend to govern very well. No,
1: but but it's a form of campaigning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So Chavez turned everything into endless campaigns. Chavez had, there's another thing, you know, elections are meant to be good for democracy. I mean, Chavez was having elections like every six months uh, because he was constantly in campaign mode. It's
1: also fun.
2: It's fun. He had a financial advantage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, financial advantage. So this sort of style is very good for campaigning. It's terrible for governing. So Brexit can't govern. Brexit was great for the campaign. Mm But when they have to actually do policies, like, what was Trump can't do Same policies? Yeah. And kind of Chavez had one policy, which is just like, you know.
0: Putin seems to be able to govern, though.
2: Um, he had to stop at one point. So, so there was stuff that was just happening because Russia needs to develop. Mm. But um, not really, no. There was just a natural oil boom that went on for a long time. Um, and kind of most ministries is, are run as discrete fiefdoms so the militaries it all depends on whoever's running it. no, he was quite hands off he was um he just kept a balance between all the different groups, but there's just so much money in the system that it there was enough to cover any cracks. The minute that he had to start governing was after the protests when like there were political reforms he had to do, and his solution was to start a war because it was too 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 complicated but would you uh, say, yeah, would you
1: say um
0: please
2: <laughs> that um,
1: the inability or the difficulty of, 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 of the media to deal with Trump or with AfD in Germany or with any of those new phenomena has to do with that old set of instruments that, that you are sort of seeking for the highest, for, for the for the for the highest ma- maximum energy in the discourse, as you say, the spectacle. So you look, you, you don't even have, have any compass really. What you want as a media, as media, but you have just sort of this the magnetism of going to to the loudest source, and mm. that's. Sort of the problem why in the US love CNN or NBC, so love even mainstream media was, New York Times was Mesmerized by Trump. Mesmerized and manipulated by Trump. The same, similar stuff, I mean, on a larger, smaller scale, you can see in Germany happening and in Europe happening.
2: No, completely. Completely. That's, that's, I wonder how they sleep at night. No, it's completely, I mean, it's completely indulged, indulged his performance.
0: So could you talk about, so uh, the way you describe it, this, It's um, it goes back decades and it's just a kind of a natural progress of imagery, spectacle, but can you talk about the new thing that is social media and uh, kind of this outrage machine that Facebook and social media companies have created, does that play into this and how is that used?
2: Um.
0: Is it something new or is it just... A continue. Is this a continuation of something old, or is
2: it? Well, everything's a continuation of something old, you know, in a a way. uh, But is it a leap? Is it a radio? Was also just another form of communication, but it kind of transformed everything. But it changed everything. Yeah, and so so, so, and a military guy put it very well that you know uh, describing you could actually describe airplanes and warfare before airplanes there were other flying objects which launched missiles mm. in, wa- in warfare before airplanes arrived. Yeah. But kind of airplanes did kind of change things a little Kinda. bit. So, um, so, so in a way, yes, we've always always been messaging. So, you mm. know, there's always been like, mm. so it's nothing new. I think what's new about, well, so far we're fixated on the technical stuff. There's also an ideological crisis happening, which has come together with this. But, but the technical side, I don't know, I was covering, I'm talking a lot to campaign managers, and I've never run a campaign. So I'm kind of, this is all very secondhand, but this is the picture I got. So the logic of social media creates a very, has created what we're calling populism at the moment, or a very specific model of it. Has
0: created, not just reinforced, but actually
2: created. It was created a specific one, yeah? So so this is the way they, and I've talked to them in Mexico, here, America. It's the same picture that emerges. So you're doing a campaign now. You don't have to take the center. You don't have to take CNN, yeah? You want your leader to get airplay there, but it's not really about that. You want to hit all these different communities, all these different causes on Facebook, which are micro causes, yeah. animal rights, um, I don't know, parking rights, um, or whatever, anything that people are inspired by. Uh, and you want to do completely different messaging to all of them. Uh, and you want, you have to recreate your story for each one. And you, th- their interests can be fratricidal. They might actually hate each other. Uh, you just have to because they won't see the advertising going to the other one um, that's
0: the key right I yeah. mean that they won't see the messaging going to the other but you know
2: that's changed this morning to Kuberger's Van yes. Dark Act yes. but, un- but still they would still see it a lot less mm. than uh, in TV when everyone was watching more or less the same stuff mm. so you're selling yourself to completely different ways so in order to then unite all these very different things you can't have a strong kind of ideological mm. backbone even if there were one what you need is something very, very vague to tie all these people together. So the people, the many, something v- as vague as possible.
0: But still emotional.
2: Um, it just has to be, well, they're already emotionally engaged because you're you're actually accessing the things they really, really care about. You know, that you're hitting their sweet spots. So they're already emotionally engaged. And you sold them yourselves in different ways. You use completely different advertising. You may have not used your candidate sometimes. Trump campaign didn't always use Trump and targeted ads. And then so in order to bring that together, you have to have some very amorphous idea of the people. And you have to give them the sense that you can solve all their various problems. And for that, the only thing really is an enemy. So the establishment, Hillary, the EU, which somehow, so the EU and the Brexit campaign became the cause of abuse of animal rights, immigration, whatever, whatever your private worry was, that became the thing that, you know, you felt was blocking it. So at least this kind of very, very kind of like odd politics where, um, which is a populism which isn't about the people being able to articulate common causes and saying what they're about, it's the opposite. You need the idea of the people because the people are so fractured. Um, so, and that leads to a very specific kind of kind of politics which is very, seems to be very successful at campaigning or has been very successful at campaigning, or rel- I mean, but can't govern by definition because you've sold yourself in such different ways. How are you then gonna govern? Um, so that seems to be a trend that we're, that we're sort of trapped inside, which seems to be generated by just the the model of social media. The anger stuff, I mean, there's been a bit of research on it. There's a guy at University of Venice called Walter Quatraciocchi, who you should definitely interview. Mm. Um, so he did sort of a test on at the emotional trends on Facebook, and they always go from positive to negative. Mm. So don't, I mean whatever best to go and double check this afterwards but but you know I'm sort of quoting an academic paper by heart so it's a bit not very reliable but basically people get angry is what he means and he reckons it is because and this is really just his interpretation I don't think he can prove it that people go online not to win an argument not to sort of take part in some sort of discussion but essentially as a small narcissism machine you go there looking for likes and retweets Yes. Self-confirmation. Mm. So you're not even looking for a real political discussion. You're looking for anything that makes you feel good uh, and gets you adulation from people. A, that pushes you towards more extreme things to say because that tends to get more attention by mm. Trump. But also that can never really quite be satisfied because like it's like cocaine or something. Not that I would know, but the way it's explained, <laughs> you know, you go there looking for that emotional hit. You can never quite get it. You get angry and angry and angry. Thus, he says, kittens are very popular on Facebook because kittens for a moment sort of relax that sense mm. and they give you the sense that you've seen something small and weak that makes you feel good. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, but again, that means that the discussion happening on Facebook, quite the opposite of being a sort of wonderful public space for deliberative decision-making is actually a place where, by its very nature, pushes towards polarization and people not listening to other people that in any way disagree with them, which is quite, I mean, that's quite bleak.
0: And it also, I guess, I I mean, thinking about solutions or thinking about how this could be um, fixed, it's problematic because it also really goes to the core of the business model of these companies. They want, the whole idea of, of Facebook is for people to stay on their platform as long as possible. And if people do that, if they're emotionally, you know, upset or angry, then there is no simple fix to this as in, you know, let's take away all the fake news. Because the attention economy in itself, I guess, is dri- is driving this the whole um, incentives that built that built it.
2: But I completely agree. But imagine you could use this sort of the data that it generates to bring people together. So let's say Gilad Lotan has done quite a lot of research about Palestinian and Israeli groups mm-hmm. on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> no, because it's so negative, because, you know, Twitter was meant to be, it was going to be, was meant to be a positive experience. And actually, all, shows, all of
0: this was oh, supposed it's, it's, to be, like, that's, what a, that's what I they promised
2: <laughs> yeah, well.
0: connecting people.
2: Yes, well, exactly. And then like, you can see the Palestinian and yes. Israeli communities. So there used to be an overlay, they used to be bits where they talk like, mm-hmm. like that. So, yes, that would certainly uh, indicate that. But imagine you could get, bit, you know, could we use that data positively Is something that we want to ask here? Um, so let's say you can get the data on these sort of, let's say, the pro-Palestinian and pro-Israel group, taking a really easy subject, that's going to <laughs> to fix it. but you could then be able to tell what things they have in common. And could you then engage them in ways, you know, knowing these are the two things they have in common? Could you do that in real time? Could you have good bots that went around in the middle of every argument sort of checking what they have in common? Happy bots. Well, there, there are good bots there are good bots um, they're saying yes not all bots are bad yeah. not all bots there are some good re- redeemed bots uh, so it's, it's hard but can we use this data to bring people together it's, it's kind of what we want to experiment with here mm-hmm. um, at the moment like the people who whether it happens organically or whether it's somebody is dividing people on purpose like, you know, these ads that were put out in the US election, a lot of them were about dividing people, they weren't about inspiring. Uh, so whether it's be happening naturally, or, or people doing it on purpose, to sort of like, you know, try to c- clash different groups together. Can we use that same data for something positive? Uh, is sort of can we? That's the answer. Well, That's my answer. Well, that's, we? well that's, Let- what, that's what we're going to experiment with here. But...
0: Is that okay. your answer? Give us, give, you, a, give us, I'm give, give us. <laughs> I think we need, that's, that's the answer I'm looking
2: for. I think we need like eighteen months to find out. I mean, theoretically, we're not. I mean, it's, it's just like do. What do you mean
0: eighteen months? What, happened, it's what it's happens? What happens in eighteen? Oh, your research project. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> that's how long. it <laughs> thought you meant twelve. <laughs> so there was something it's else happening
0: happening in eighteen
2: months. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no. not that I'm aware <laughs> of. I mean, maybe quicker. <laughs> ma- maybe we'll know quicker. Theoretically, well, I really want to find out. So theoretically, why not? I mean, if that's how you usually do reconciliation building, you. You know, take put you around a table, try to find out what they have in common, but maybe we could do part of that sort of through data analysis now.
0: I'm just, I'm just wondering because I'm, I'm not to be too negative, but um, please not, but
2: <laughs> <laughs> please don't.
0: But if the whole, I mean, if the attention economy is 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 built like this, if the economic incentives are like this, that it uh, promotes or it. Um, incentivizes anger, promotes anger, outrage, uh, how it creates fundamental That's a theory. That's a a theory. That's a theory. And then, in my thinking, it creates... It doesn't create evil in a, in and of itself, but it creates weaknesses that, if you're um, an authoritarian or pop- right wing populist, you it's much easier for you to use this mm-hmm. uh, because you f- you feed on anger, uh, you thrive on anger, and the people who want to reconciliate, Israelians and Palestinians they they don't. So how do they use this to their advantage? I just don't.
2: So. so- So one of the few. Tell me. No, so one of the few things. No, no, it's a pretty glum situation. That's why we set up this 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 center to kind of see what we can do. So, um, I I think I've I've read this somewhere. Um, One of the few emotions that overcomes anger, and there's not very many, is awe. Mm -hmm. The sense that you're part of something bigger than yourself. Ah, So there are. So so if, if religion. Oh, crap. That, that's not. <laughs> is that the only way we can get awe? I mean, yeah. there are other ways of it. There are other ways of doing it. But I think I think awe God, is. Defi- is I think awe, awe is, yes. is defined as as. I'm
0: this. I'm a super sex, a secular person. I'm just saying.
2: You think you are? Yeah, I think I am. You just you just need a bit of awe in your life. <laughs> um, I
0: <do>. So so, <laughs> that's a different podcast.
2: Right. No, but I mean, I was quite surprised when I saw that as well. I didn't realize that was such a, a category, but apparently it is. Um. So yeah we have to th- so that's something to work with giving people the sense or well, not giving g- working with the the only way to overcome anger is working with the sense that you're part of something greater than yourself that's that seems to be one of the few things that
0: that's super, that, that's that can great. Overcome that's or, great that's great
2: that's but there's you know there's ways of i mean that sounds very vague but but I think there are many ways of doing that through through journalism but um
1: you, you talked about the, the ideological crisis as well so yes. could you elaborate yeah sure on that?
2: Um, of course I can mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can approach the whole post-factual problem that we've kind of been playing with purely from a digital, like a technical point.
0: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
2: My view you, like the medium created this. But, but there's something else that's been happening. So especially I think this is very clear when you look at the history of the Cold War and the nature of lies. So look, look people have always lied and politicians have always lied. And that seems to be a big part of their job description. Uh, but the nature, something has changed in the nature of lies so in the cold war when the russians were trying to for example uh convince the west that aids had been invented by the caa as a weapon which was a, a sort of false story they put out they would go to great lengths to make that story seem real so they came up with fake well actually real academics who planted this story you know they elaborated on the story for several years that it felt realistic and when reagan confronted gorbachev that this is a fake story the Soviets were putting out Gorbachev was like how dare you allege that I am lying (laughs) the Soviet Union would never lie and today when Putin sort of goes up on on TV on international TV and says there are no Russian soldiers in Crimea as he did during the Crimea crisis and kind of smiles Mm. uh, he knows that we know he's lying Mm. and he's kind of saying I don't care you know what are you going to do Trump's like this as well you know he just lies for fun and 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 Putin almost almost sort of wants us to go, but hold on. He also wants us to sort of accuse him of lying, so he can point back and say, "Well, you lie too. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the big deal?" So, but the, so something's changed about the quality of lying. So, so Putin and Trump lie in a different way to know, Nixon and 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 Gorbachev. Um, also, Kennedy probably lied. Also, the left. No, lied. they all lied. I mean, yeah. lying is one of the... No, we're talking about here about the, the, what it says about our culture, yeah. that truth doesn't matter anymore. This is slightly different to... Uh, n- n- they don't
0: They don't they try care. to even cover their tracks. Exactly, yes. exactly.
2: But if you look back at the Cold War, I mean, both the Soviets and the Americans, they both had a rational project about making the world better. Both were trying to prove that their system was better. Was it capitalism or communism? Was some... You know, communism, we, we, we can now... Often think of as a, as a sect and a cult, but but it also had a very it was actually very much born out of an Enlightenment tradition. History we're going somewhere. It's scientific, therefore we have to prove that what we're doing is right. Therefore, the Soviets would constantly churn out these facts about their society, even though when they, everyone knew it was bullshit. They still kept up the pretense. It was very important for them. To, to carry on pretending that actually things were getting better.
0: So two ideas.
2: Yeah, Here but rational ideas. Yes. And facts you only really need when you have something that you want to prove. I mean, why would you need them? And I think facts are very tied to the idea of, of, of a future. I mean, you need facts when you're trying to get somewhere, when you're building a bridge, when you're doing something, when you're constructing something. You need facts as proof that what you're constructing is real. I mean, we, d- we don't have a post-factual... Well, Engineering. Yeah, exactly. We'll have some bridges or something. So, so, so those... So the quality of life is because we were involved in two projects, both of which were deeply rational and had to prove something. And then in the 1990s, we kind of had one project left, Globalization, The Economist magazine. And again, look, the Russians are still pretending that they're, that they're liberalizing. They're still pretending that they have a democracy, even if it's bullshit. They're still pretending they have a market economy, because it's important for them to prove that they are part of this great globalization process. And then 2008, that goes out the window, Nobody believes in that anymore. And so you're just left in this space where there are no ideals, nothing to head for. And then, like, there's this libidinal moment, well, fuck the facts. I mean, it's quite nice to say there are no facts. There's a moment of rebellion in it. Facts, I think, to be very pretentious, are at the end of the day a reminder of mortality and death and limitations. You know, they're kind of like they weigh upon you. And then here you have this wonderful kind of moment where you throw off the weight of facts uh, and that's kind of the joy that I think Trump has. That's kind of the, the energy that he, that so he that's communicates. That's
1: a fascinating description because it means that the, the Weltgeist, as we say in Germany, has not humor, but is, is very keen, at least, sort of, to, to pick up so the it's right a, time to enter the so stage. So it's a carnival, it's,
0: basically, we're living yeah, through right now. Yeah, we're looking at okay, a But th- it's a
1: carnival, but it happens at the same time. At the same time, the, the myth... Of globalization collapses at mm. the same time in comes this fun machine yes. this uh, disruptive rage uh, machine at the same time so so that is a perfect storm is the, the void is there the stage is prepared up come the clouds
2: perfect exactly i mean i i, I think i think it's for i have written i don't know if you read everything that i read <laughs> yes. <but>, and more <laughs> we read more <laughs> but but yes no and if you look at the sort of the sense of humor a lot of a lot of these people uh the terte I and mean, we've noticed this already it's very um, it's right out of the uh, with, these, with these sort of descriptions of sex and drinking and and, and and so is it yeah it's a perfect storm and I kind of let it be a perfect storm in my head I suppose it's a complicated argument to make that to, I don't know if I believe it completely is that you know that those narratives are also held in certain vessels you know in certain vessels of um, you know Media duh, 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 duh. and even as sort of like the media broke apart, that kind of meant that myth broke apart as well. So what I mean is, maybe globalization could have rebuilt itself if it was still two or three newspapers or something. If but the, the fact if there was so much, if the phantom world was still existing,
1: which is which it is. Mm. So if that that it's not a fake world, but it was a an argument, as you say, it was built on the economist' yes. perception of the world. So it was propaganda. Basically, it wasn't. Fact- it was,
0: an idea. Yeah, it was but, an idea. but it wasn't
1: fact-based. It was as as sort of uh, people that we talked to here said. It was uh, uh, Lord Wood said, um, who was advising Blair at the time. No, they, Brown and Miliband. Uh, Brown, Brown, and Miliband. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, they really believed that there is no alternative mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. that. Um, so so it, it, it was religion. Globalization was religion. It wasn't fact-based. It was was well, it was an ideal yeah, You're more an ideal than an idea.
2: Mm. yeah. I mean, I grew up during that time. and definitely the sense that there was no alternatives that you know there's various various versions of this. yeah, it was kind of very, very prevalent could I so, try to
1: make a, a question to both of you because I think there is techno-utopianism and there is techno-fatalism mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm curious about your perspective because the, the, the current argument seems to be in whatever enlightened or progressive or leftist mm-hmm. circles or any circle so it's yeah that, as you say it's glum that's, it, it enforces negativity and that's a very that's a super easy argument because everybody buys it at the moment is that sort of, is that a problem is that even true is that sort of one side of is that of the arguments that sort of this is the cheap way to yeah to moan about the. No, present. I
0: think well, it is moaning about the present, but I do think it's I, I, I do think it's true and I but I but the that's way. It's not the whole the, story. No, it's not. Well, I, from my point of view, I think we need some kind of pushback. I mean, I, I think about this in, in political terms. And is it right that we have? Isn't it strange that we have these two almost monopoly companies now, completely controlling the information infrastructure that we all need for to be you know. Uh,
1: are you think it would be better for 50, 50 companies?
0: No, I, I mean. think it would be better if we knew what the fuck they were doing and understood the mechanisms behind it and that there were some pushbacks from consumers and politicians and governments and that we just, I don't know, this, because this is just, just not working. So I'm very, um, pro, I don't know, I'm short-term and...
2: We lost Peter here. No, 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 no I'm just wondering. I'm, I'm just wondering. I mean, it's also this paradox that... that um, uh this one this sort of little engine of narcissism if we buy that argument mm. and maybe there'll be research tomorrow saying it's bullshit but at the moment that seems to be there seems mm. to be some agreement on that mm. um at the same time sort of every one of us gets to feel like a little goebbels or like a little god in that little facebook universe yeah. is also the moment where data completely undermines the idea of the individual and kind of like sort of there's this sort of paranoia that comes with it that the, our data knows more about us than we do yeah might be connected. Yeah, the
0: surveillance. Yeah, the surveillance thing. Yeah, the surveillance. But also the psychograph, the
2: psychographic stuff. You know, you want to
1: prove that you exist versus the micro data and the, the big, big
2: data. Well, you want to prove that you exist, but actually, the more you do it, the more you have the sense that what 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 if actually I'm not in control of all of this and fine. my data is it's telling me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but also the data is. And There's this guy at Oxford. I don't know if you. I forget his name. He's got an Italian name. He's written a book called The Fourth Revolution, about and he compares data revolution to freud and copernicus mm-hmm. saying these are huge moments of sort of where we refashion the place of the individual in the world so copernicus obviously the earth stopped being the center of the universe freud consciousness stopped being the center of the universe and now we realize that we're actually 80 percent data uh, and i think a lot of this stuff about sort of cambridge analytica and all those sort of fears around that is, is part of that sense that oh my god what if what if we've already said more about ourselves than we understand I mean, okay. I sometimes think back, how many traces have I already left? How much of myself have I already left out there? So, apart from being very embarrassing, uh, it's also kind of disturbing, you know. What, you know what, if, what, if, what if that knows more about me than I understand? Um, so, there, there, there's, um, the anxiety could be around that as well. Um, it's come here to take our souls.
1: If,
0: if we- well, to ask you back, I mean, where is the optimism in this then?
1: Well, the optimism could still be in the combination between, uh, as you say, the agency of uh, people, uh, a- A.K.A. the state or, or a government that's rational, so that's rational com- combined with with the power of uh, using data um, for an enlightened sense. So, of having having a regime, how to how to um, manage uh, and control data in a democratic way, but, but, or, sure. or the other yes. sort of more optimistic view. And that sort of goes back to the question of ideology. So what is representative democracy really? It's, and that's, sort of wasn't so clear, I think for the last two and 50 years, or it was for the, for the founders of, of the United States, but it wasn't so sort of for the people living in Sweden, England or, or Germany. So actively that it's really distrust of, of the the forces uh, in, in in the population of the people that that, that is a, so that is representative democracy. So today the question is, could could the more direct, not representative democracy also be um, be happy, be good? So sort of, to to is, or or is it as you as you say not not able because that's how people are? Was the distrust justified? You say negativity. Everybody, every, everything feeds off negativity. That is the that is the reason for distrust. People are destructive by nature, but but is that true? And 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 the argument, the only enlightened argument, I think, could, would be the assumption that no, that's not per se true. It or, could be.
0: Or is the answer?
2: Oh, or, or is the answer? <laughs> well, well, listen. I, mean, I was in Iowa recently, um, and um, I, I spent a week there doing a lecture course at Grinnell. Do you know Grinnell. It's an, no. Tiny little town. So it's a town in Iowa. I was like, You're I'll be in I'll, Iowa. Yeah, I'll be there. No, te- I'll be there okay, for like, I'll be there for ten days. And um, and I was like, okay, I'll sort. This is interesting. I've never been to Iowa, and I'll take buses to the various towns mm-hmm. in the Florida. And I get there, I'm like, so where's the bus stops? I want to take buses in between sort of lectures. I have to you do.
0: Pr- You're basically doing a primary campaign. Yeah,
2: they're like, <laughs> Peter. There's no bus stop here. There's no buses. There's no buses. And and you, this kind of Zen hits you because I mean something about the Iowa countryside. It feels like waves, and they just the cornfields just go on and on and you realize you can't get out and then kind of feel this calm okay i'm here for 10 days i'm not moving so what do you do, do you watch tv all day and um uh, and it is incredible i mean not one strong local news channel yeah all of it is somebody in la mm. somebody in new york lecturing you in a very 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 kind of clearly incestuous conversation mm. and like 10 local weather channels there's nothing about you nothing that represents the eye one. and of course you start to like Fox because Fox are there but they're the rebels there mm. so that you kind of identify with them a little bit mm. so they're the they're the bad boys in New York saying this is all wrong and rubbish so that's the closest you have to finding some sort of surrogate feeling so I would have become a Fox viewer there I mean the snobbishness of US mm. elites oh my god they, serve, they deserve a kicking yes. but they but really deserve a kicking
1: there's this disconnect we talked about that so uh, a lot this disconnect because you see the old re- regime and power, which is the monopoly of, of opinion, but there's all these ways to create to create that local mm. uh, community with this technology. And well, that, and that's then the you bizarre thing. So well, that's the
0: bizarre thing. But then you come back to uh, the economic incentives driving this. Uh, it's they they do not. They are not built for people, despite what Mark Zuckerberg sa- says. It's They are not built for people to come together around, you know, uh, creating local communities. But well, they are. I no, mean, they are them. not. Twitter you is, can use them for yeah. that, but they are built for people to stay on the platform as long as possible so you can um, harvest their data. That's what they're built for. So I'm just...
1: So this is, is the model a too. So 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 the model is that the, the user is the is the producer. So he's 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 not knowing. He, he doesn't I think know that he. We need he's a different
0: kind of infrastructure, but that's a big project.
2: No, what, what, what kind?
0: Something that is not that big and uh, advertising based. Uh, I mean that's the problem no I mean it's about, it's all about harvesting data from people so you can sell them sell advertising back to them and i think that the countries and places in the world w- which has kind of withstood this new uh is where you have strong uh independent media maybe state sponsored public public mm. media so i i just think you need it's not the right infra- it's it's it doesn't promote facts or community or coming together or you know reasonable discourse it just doesn't so we need to think about that
2: i don't well, know what the answer you've talked you've talked about financial incentives quite a yes. lot and i think that's a huge part of it yes um so so can we change the financial incentives can we make it unattractive for advertisers yeah. to sponsor fake news mm.
1: but isn't it an educational model so if you not an educational model but you have to teach people that it's uh, if you are on Facebook and you think it's free, it's not. Mm. So wouldn't you be more autonomous if you sort of, if you pay a service or if you have sort of agency over that service mm. as, as opposed to the other yes. way around? So you just sucked into this world where you think, you you move and Google and you think it's it's a really weird assumption that people just build all these great tools for you just because they're so ben, benevolent. Um, benevolent, yeah. Um, that's that's a, f- a huge fallacy, a, a, a global fallacy of of how, how people and, and enterprises work. So you could sort of turn that around and say, you are the people, you own your tools, but you have to do something. You have to invest in those tools.
2: Yeah, I mean, that sort of also gets to the question of um, how and why do people consume things? Mm. So, But if we start from the idea that you're talking about people as innocent dupes who are so uneducated, they don't understand how they're being used. That's how I see them. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so, deal so, so does all well. I mean, you're a good company there. I actually I mean, obviously, like you know, we all grow up on we all, in Britain we grow up on Orwell and Shakespeare, and, and that's great. I think Orwell is probably wrong though. I, I in my experience, what I saw in Russia, where you have a you know pro, is a very powerful propaganda state, is people know it's a lie. They just like it. Mm. So, and that seems to be like that's only Potrachyok's research as well that. Um, um people are out there looking for fake stuff they want it uh and so if you don't start understanding why they want it and what's driving that and that really deep audience analysis then then we might be we i so you say, we, we, we say might it. we might we might we might not find a full a full a full kind of a, a fully sort of really sort of powerful way forward um
0: so the, is, are you saying that the only way forward then is to have competing ideas again, competing ideologies because that's kind of the no, way he says,
1: to... I think people are dupes and he says people want to be dupes. What are you saying? <laughs> yes, think, du- it's,
2: I think it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's
0: not a contradiction. It's, it's not no, about...
1: It's but not, it's duping at the, at the end so <laughs> it's, it's, there's no, truth, no place for truth in that.
2: I think, I, think, I think this is a really cheesy way of putting it and certainly not mine. This was said downstairs in an event sure. we had here at LSE. It's like it's not about media literacy it's about audience literacy. Um, I think it's about understanding audiences. Why do they want it? I mean, in Russia, I want to understand why people are prepared to listen to these lies. Sometimes, it's actually an authoritarian regime, it's easier because it's often a threat. You know, we think Russians are stupid and believe everything that Putin says. They don't. It's a language. Putin's saying, this is what you have to believe if you don't want this to happen to mm. you. It's a, it's a dance. Mm. It's not just here is the information and you're brainwashed by it. It's a lot of social levers, you know, and this is what happens to people who don't. Say they believe in this. There was a lovely, um uh, there was a lovely uh, bit of sort of uh, focus group that, that the Levada Center, who are one of the few sort of Russian independent sociology institutes, did, and they asked people, "Do you think there are Russian soldiers in Eastern Ukraine?" And they're like, "Do you mean officially?" <laughs> <laughs> so it's a game, you know. It's like people understand that it's a game, and they're not. I mean, there is a problem with the language we use around information. I mean, we often talk about, we often use the language of sort of viruses and sort of um, diseases. But it's not. I mean, I now have a very heavy cold, as you can probably tell. (laughs) And this here, this is a virus. I picked it up from my kids because they went to fucking primary school. You know, I didn't want it. This is not a virus propaganda. It's a game. It's it's a dance. It's give and take. It's much closer to psychology. I don't know, but I I don't think these kind of like, if only we can build up the immune system against the virus, we'll be fine. I I think the the metaphor is already is already is already it has its uses. But it's not, it's not ideal. So basically, and we get that metaphor, of course, from Camus. So the first thing we have to do, get rid of Camus and get rid of Orwell. You know, because seriously, our ideas of propaganda are too much from these two geniuses. We have to move on. Um, to
1: where? What's the next? Well, topic? Havel was much
2: better. Havel's stuff on late Soviet Union was much better. About power of the powerlessness, about people who understand everything. Lisa Widine about... Can propag- you explain that, unpack that a little? So, I mean, Havel's thing was people perfectly... Under- of yeah, of Yeah, the Havel's thing, that people in late authoritarian regimes... Perfectly well understood that it was absolute bollocks, but they played along um, because that was a way of sort of like you know, cementing your place in society, staying in. Lisa Wadine has a terrific um, has a terrific book about propaganda under in Syria, mm-hmm. not under this Assad, under Daddy Assad, where very educated people. Would repeat things like Assad is the greatest chemist in the world, or mm-hmm. dentist. He was a dentist. a dentist, the greatest dentist in the world. I mean, they knew he wasn't. Mm-hmm. But again, this was part of the ritual that you played in order to show who you were in society. And the th- and the problem was, if you weren't to say that, you'd be killed. Uh, and that's why the younger Assad freaked out so much when these kids started doing these this graffiti against him. You know, when the when the Syrian civil war started, you know, he went he went berserk about a bunch of kids you know, graffiting anti-SS leggers because they'd broken this very, very subtle compact in society where everyone knows it's bullshit, mm. but you're not allowed to say it. And that was very, very dangerous. So he had to he, you know, had to hyper react to that. But those are authoritarian regimes. I mean in America you don't have any threats and Britain don't have any threats. But still people are doing it because it's some sort of dance. I think I think a lot of the Trump stuff it's this sense of libidinal release. It's this like, Woo, no facts, what fun. You know? He's overcoming death. Um in Britain, it's an obsession with exceptionalism. But I, mean, I mean, I is- mean, the, the, the Boris and Nigel Farage stuff played into that. I don't think it was about the three hundred fifty million.
0: But if you if you think about the metaphor of the carnival, I mean, the carnival always ends. No, I mean, you can't have a carnival forever. There's always this uh, time of like uh, waking up, and there's a hangover, and you need to kind That's of a very Swedish view
1: of carnival. Yes.
0: No. maybe.
1: Anyway, I didn't want to interrupt here How do you
0: think about (laughs) carnival? You can't have a carnival for. I mean, you can have for a while, and then you have to wake up. Assumption:
1: You're always assuming that it goes on. We come back to death again. So facts are death. So you ignore (laughs) facts. That is the whole proposition of the carnival. But don't people get tired of just
0: you know having like Nigel Farage and. Um, Boris Johnson making fools out of themselves eventually. i well, get tired of,
1: uh, sort of ha- half naked women dancing in Brazilian costumes. I don't know. Uh, Are you talking about yourself now? <laughs> <laughs> Never.
0: Half. Half. Yeah, half. How other people might think about this.
2: I can really agree. I mean, again, not my metaphor. Somebody was talking about how reality catches up to people and it's like a Bull and a matador. You know, reality is this matador coming at us, and like you know, Trump. Oh, so the bull. And, uh, tr- yeah. Well, yes, exactly. Well, exactly. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> reality. <laughs> is, where's my metaphor? here Reality is the bull, and and like p- Trump and Putin are these matadors, kind of like you know, deflecting away from reality. And at one point, reality will catch up. But like, yeah, historically, the record's not good. You know, you often have these bursts of unreality when a new medium appears, yeah. because that you know makes irrational forms of communication common, and you know. So, radio appears, empowers totalitarian ideologies. Print appears, helps catalyze the um, war's religion. So, historically, the record is um, bursts of carnival non reality, massive global conflict,
0: For a huge years. death, <laughs> huge <laughs> and then something new.
2: And then people are like, mm, maybe we should use this in a more constructive way. Yeah. So, reality does catch up. The question is, how, how vicious is the crisis going to be? Um, so, I think, I think sadly that, that seems to be the historical record. But um, maybe not, you know. Maybe we've become less violent. I don't know.
1: I, <laughs> as always, we want to definitely end on a cheerful note. So we have to really uh, <laughs> be. Um, but because it's I mean, what you say. So there is. There is. Um, I mean, the, the record is bad, but but it's not. Uh, the record is also good because we overcame those hardships, wars. I mean, can I you avoid? war? Yeah, but can you? Is that a fate? Is, is that really the fateful? way that we go have to go or or is there I mean, realizing that that there is always a reshaping of uh truth power um can we anticipate that can we learn I, I, from totalitarian I, to regimes as you say so sort of, can we c- come up with a new paradigm for dealing with this big
2: shift carnival <laughs> um give us something well the cynic in me says yes if we fund my little centre <laughs> but, um, but you have 18 months yes we have 18 months um, and the historical record pretty bad are huh? you right the thing that the thing that, console, well, the thing that consoles me about social media is that its crises and ideologies are so superficial and its and its fights are so superficial I remember the first time I got into a, t- a, t- a fight on twitter And I was like, oh my God, this is so bad. Everyone's gonna be talking about it. And I've lost so many friends. And then like people had forgotten three hours because the next thing had happened. And there's something incredibly superficial about all these people. Even Putin, by the standards of Russian history, is is a pretty rubbish dictator. Um, So maybe there's something about the kind of, the superficiality of all of it, which means that the crisis, though it'll be very, it'll feel very hysterical, will actually not be very bloody or we'll have robots fight it or something, you know. So maybe there's something so virtual about this virtuality. I mean, it's like, so the thing that worries me most about it in America is, it, is not, you know, not, 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 not a lot of the kind of structural stuff that people are talking about. I think America's fine, it's young, it has computers and the dollar, you know, whatever. I think it's fine apart from the propaganda problem. So you now have a large part of the population who thinks that Hillary Clinton is a murderer, literally, or should be in jail. That's kind of scary.
0: That, and that's but, the difference, though, also, b- between the propaganda you were talking about mm, before, where people could kind of unpack and think about, facts. well, that's, you know, that's an official lie, and I have to say this because blah, 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 otherwise I'm going to be affected by it. So that's, I mean, that's a fundamental difference.
2: Yeah, no, no, conspiracy. I mean, this is Ivan Krastev's inside. Conspiracy is where ideology ends. You can't yeah. argue with conspiracy. Yeah. And conspiracy is a dividing line. It's about marking boundaries, because you're either inside or outside the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. You can't. Exactly. So, so what's worrying in America is now that America has become like Russia in the sense that you, I now spend the first twenty minutes in any conversation in America trying to work out whether the person's lives in an alternative reality, mm. and just very slowly, Seth Rich. What do you think about that? Mm. Yeah, she should be in jail. Okay, <laughs> let's let's move on to football. You know, so it's a bit like Russia now. Like you, know, you have to kind of tiptoe around people, working, you know, seeing seeing what, where where they exist. Um, But on the other hand, is that a belief that people would die for? Do people really need that belief to exist? It's such a superficial bit of rubbish, uh, that I wonder, unlike communism, something else, Nazism, the people, or now these days, various forms of extremism. So on the one hand, it's disturbing that people live in this weird reality. On the other hand, you feel they could throw that away tomorrow as well. Like the story's bullshit and they could just do without it as well. Um, so, so maybe, maybe the superficiality and silliness of all of this will will save it. That's a cynical argument, you say. No, that was the positive <laughs> one. <laughs> that was the positive
0: one. Was, the,
2: positive one. <laughs> it, the whole thing is so meaningless, and the, let's think, sir, we've been monitoring the German relations, and it's so hard to sort of like keep a straight face because a lot of this stuff, this whole stuff of Kekistan, you know, kek yeah. and the whole what? mythology around it, kek the the frog, and you know, oh, the yeah, all right yeah, yeah. stuff. And then you go on these kind of like, you know, fake bot handles, which are spreading stuff in Germany. And it's a mixture of, to get attention, fruits that looks like penises next to kids in the Donbass being killed next to IFD. And it's just the whole thing is like some bizarre, very weird Dadaist experiment. And it's very hard to take, it's very hard to take the alt-right too seriously. Of course we should, because, you know, Hitler probably looked ridiculous, whatever. But there's something so utterly silly about all of this but maybe that will save it, It, it us, you know what I mean? But it's just like, you know, on the one hand, I, I find myself getting caught between kind of like, you know, thinking, oh no, this is such, all this stuff is so serious and bad, but you know, humor is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, you know, humor, humor legitimizes, can legitimize very nasty things and also kind of creates a space of chaos where there are no rules and lots of bad things can happen in those rules. In, in that space. But I don't know, even I find myself sort of sometimes going, Are we really scared of Pepe the Frog? I mean, seriously, are we, are we seriously meant to worry about this? Mm.
0: Um that up bit yeah. <laughs> Well
1: yeah, I mean we didn't get to the whole uh, idealistic perspective, but I guess that's oh, we're, we'll meet after the I'm war. Left and, with, uh,
0: I'm leaving this discussion with a sense of awe.
1: So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure.